Hi, and welcome to the Lighthouse Church Podcast, where we're diving deeper into God's Word and doing our best to help encourage you in your walk with God. Thanks for joining us. We welcome you here today. Glad you're able to be here. My prayer each and every time that I begin to speak, whether I actually vocalize it or not, is a prayer found in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And I'll quote it to you out of the Passion Translation. It says, Now when one comes to the Lord with an open heart, the veil is lifted and they see. Now the Lord I'm referring to is Holy Spirit. And where He is Lord, there is liberty. When one turns to the Lord with an open heart, now your heart is not your conscious mind. Your heart is your subconscious mind. It's like the conscious mind is like the, the monitor on your desktop can screen. Your subconscious mind is your hard drive where files are stored, where your deeply rooted religious beliefs, where your traditions, where your values, where you've had things just set in your ways. That's in the hard drive. That is the subconscious mind. That's the heart. When we turn to the Lord with an open heart and say, Lord, Come, scan my hard drive. It says the veil is lifted. Revelation means to lift a veil. So revelation comes and we see. We see what we didn't see before. And that's my prayer for today and every day. That I see something I didn't see before. That you see something you didn't see before. We're going to talk about Jesus today. That's good, isn't it? But when we talk about Jesus, we can marvel at what Jesus did as God. Or we can realize that he did these things as one anointed man, one anointed human, just as you and I. Because he emptied himself, the kenosis, and came and took the form of a man to dwell on earth just, you, just like you and I, empowered by the Spirit, sinless, and re-inherited everything through obedience. In John chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, it says he came into this world and the world didn't perceive him. They didn't recognize him. And in verse 11, it says he came into his own and his own received him not. He came into his own. Now, what is his own? You could say his own town. You can say his own city, his own family, his own neighborhood, his own church, his own synagogue. But let me just shorten it to one, one little phrase. He came unto those who were familiar with him. And they who were familiar with him received him not. But in verse 12 it says, But as many as did receive him, to them gave he exousia, the delegated authority to become children of God. Now we talked about last time there were two different words for receive. There's dekomahi, which is a warm greeting, greeting like you welcome people into your home to come be a part of your life. And then there's lambano. Lambano is where you receive and put into practice. You apply it to your everyday life. That word that says they received him not is lambano with a prefix para, para lambano. Para means alongside. So he came alongside and they would not put into practice what he was offering them right before their eyes. But as many as did Lombano grasp it, catch hold of it, 
put into practice and apply his teaching into their life, the kingdom teaching, then they benefited. When did they not, at what point in Jesus' life was he not received? As a little boy, he was received. Who wouldn't receive a well-mannered, sinless young boy? At age 12, he marveled. He astonished the teachers of the law. As a sinless young man, he never misbehaved in school. Other parents probably marveled at how well-behaved and how, how uh, well-mannered this young man was. So he was well-received. As he worked with his father, Joseph, until his death, until Joseph's death, Joseph was a well-to-do man in the community. You say, well, Joseph was a carpenter. That word carpenter is probably the, one of the most, arguably the most mistranslated words in the New Testament because it's the word tecton. It's where we get our word technology. Joseph wasn't some lowly carpenter who barely made ends meet trying to make things out of wood. He was a manager. He was a supervisor over stone, over masonry, over wood, over mosaics, all kinds of stuff. You think God's going to send his only begotten son in this world to a man who can't take care of him and put food on his table? Mm -mm. So working with Joseph, Jesus was well-respected, well-received. When did it change? When did the switch flip? It was at his baptism. It was at his baptism when it says the heavens tore open. Mark's account says it best. It says it tore open. It's the fulfillment of Isaiah 64 where it says, rend the heavens and come down. The heavens tore open, and that word is a violent term. It's the same word that's used to be able to refer to how the rocks split and how the veil was rent top to bottom. The heavens tore open. And John's account says, because see, John was the only one to really witness this. Others saw Jesus being baptized. But I'm convinced John was the only one that saw the Holy Spirit descend upon him to rest and remain. The worship team was right on money this morning, speaking on resting on us. And the moment he rested upon him, then he became known as the Christ, the Messiah. Because he was the, Christ means the anointed one. So when he was anointed as the Christ, he began his ministry. And then he started to upset the apple cart when he challenged the religious quo. You say status quo. I'm going to change it to the religious quo. When he began to challenge the religious quo, that's when people came against him. And that's when they received him not. Luke chapter 4, if you will. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. This is after Jesus was in the wilderness being tested of the devil for 40 days. And it says in verse 14, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about. Round about Nazareth, he was well received. It says, and he taught in their synagogues being glorified. And that word glorified means honored. He was being honored by all. But then he came to Nazareth. He came to Nazareth to his hometown where he was familiar. And it says, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, which tells you, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue, which tells you Jesus went to church every Sunday. So we have no excuse, right? 
And it says, he went into the Sabbath on the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Now, he read from Isaiah 61.1. And you've got to understand, he was able to take the book and read because he was now of age 30. You had to be of age 30 to be able to read from the book and the scrolls in the synagogue. You had to be of age 30 to be able to be a rabbi or a master teacher. You had to be of age 30 to be able to have disciples. So he goes into his hometown. Oh, look who's here. It's Jesus. We know him. He's 30 now, aren't you? Here. And it just so happens that every single Sabbath day, there was a set scripture that was supposed to be read on that particular Sabbath. What do you know the timing? When Jesus came back to Nazareth, talking about being led by Holy Spirit, he showed up on the day where it was the day for Isaiah 61.1 to be read. And he says here, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now, Peter makes reference to this in Acts when he's preaching, and he says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth in Acts 10.38, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. <clears throat> he went about doing good. That phrase, doing good, is where we get the word philanthropy from. So Jesus went around doing good. In other words, he would go and see, see some people who in need. Uh, Judas, meet the need. Jesus didn't go around poor. Sure, he had no place to lay his head. That meant he traveled around. But Jesus wasn't poor. He became poor so we might can become rich in the fact that he was stripped of everything on the cross. But when he was ministering, he had plenty of means to be able to meet needs, not only in healing and delivering, but also financially. He went about doing good and healing all who are oppressed of the devil. Oppression has to do with, let me just put it in layman's terms here, being bullied by the devil. Anyone who was being bullied by the devil, he set them free. Whether it was mentally, whether it was physically, you're being tormented, you're being bullied by the devil. And it says, for God was with him. And that's what people noted, is God was with him. Even Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he says, Teacher, we know you're a teacher sent from God, for no one can do these things except he be sent from God, because you, God is with you. Even Nicodemus, the well-respected Nicodemus, recognized God was with him. But it says here, he's anointed me, both in Luke 4 and in Acts chapter 10, 38. What does it mean to be anointed? That word anoint means to rub or to smear. So you got two connotations that they were familiar with back in those days. One, Brother Jim referred to the athletes that they had the races, and they did, they did uh, boxing, they did wrestling, and they did pancratia. And those, they had athletes, and they, didn't, they, didn't want to, they wanted to be greased down. So their trainers would take oil and douse it in their hands, and it would rub it into and massage it into those athletes. Then you had the connotation of a Roman soldier who wanted to keep his shield pliable, his leather shield that would out in the hot sun would get dry and it would get brittle. So he would take oil and douse it into his hands and rub it into his shield so that even if a fiery dart hit it, it could be extinguished. Because if it was brittle, it would just start burning up. The whole point is anointing has to do with the hands. So if you're anointed, I'm asking you, does God have his hands all over you? 
If God's got his hand on you, you are anointed. So when you read Jesus say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me too, he did it as a human being, anointed by God. And he set the standard for you and I to say and do the same thing. He's anointed me to do what? Six things. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. The poor don't need a welfare check. The poor don't need wick. The poor don't need food stamps. The poor need the gospel preached to them. To give them hope. He said, I came to heal the brokenhearted. Those who've been hurt. Those who've been rejected. Those who are in pain. I came to set at liberty the captives. And Jesus says, to be to build speak recovery to the blind but Isaiah 61 says to proclaim freedom to prisoners and of course as he said before the difference that I understand from Holy Spirit between the captive and a prisoner is a captive is one who's being kept from doing something something's got you by the shirt tail and a prisoner is one who is imprisoned and in bondage for having done something and it says here on top of that he says I come to heal and set at liberty those who are oppressed of the devil those who are being bullied by the devil, and then to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Now, what happens after that? It says here, And he closed the book, and he gave it to the minister, to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now, it's my understanding that they were upset because there was a certain chair that was set aside for the Messiah. Nobody ever sat in it. Jesus sat in that chair. And from there he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your midst. And it says, and they all bear witness and wondered at his gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Okay. Here's what upset them. Here's what upset them. Beginning with the fact that he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That word upon in Greek is the, word, is the prefix epi. And epi has the idea, my brother understands this because we've discussed it, is the idea of being superimposed. Now, we just got finished reading. Uh, if, if, they were putting, if we were singing songs right now, there would be words on the screen up there. Okay? And you could pay attention to the words to be able to know what to sing and sing by. But for someone who's distracted by the background, you pay more attention to the background and the beautiful background of the sun shining through than you are the words on the screen. And that's what they did with Jesus. They heard his words and they were listening to his words and all of a sudden they stopped for a minute and remembered who he is. And they said, is this not the carpenter's son? We're familiar with this guy. Who is this guy? And in Mark's account, in Mark chapter 6, it says, is this not the son of Mary? Which was a slap in the face. It was a derogatory remark to insinuate that he was an illegitimate child. Again, they were looking at the background. Superimposed upon that background was the Spirit of the Lord speaking to them, and they could not see the words on the screen for paying attention to the background. 
You ever heard the phrase, familiarity breeds contempt? That was in play here. Contempt means this. It means you deem somebody or what they have to say as beneath your consideration, as worthless or deserving of scorn. That's what it means. Look it up. Contempt means to deem someone or what they have to say as beneath your consideration, as worthless or deserving of scorn. I didn't have time to ask their permission, but I'm sure they won't mind if I can use the Bloom and Jarrell family and maybe even the Brunson family as an example. Miss Cynthia can listen to me right now and she may hear the words I'm saying, but if in the, her subconscious mind, all she can think about is my past. If she thinks of me as the little boy between 14 and 20 years of age who used to be up there in the sound booth and everything, and used to be around here, be a part of the youth group. And if she remembers the mistakes I made in my youth, then she's going to consider what I have to say is beneath her consideration. Because she's looking at my background. Rather than what God's doing in my life. I went to school with Cindy and Rodney. Cindy knows me very well. She remembers my mistakes when I was in high school. So she can be listening to me right now and she can consider what you have to say is worthless. Because I remember him back in the 80s. Telling your age. And some may say, well, I remember what he did and at the very least, he needs to pay for what he did. That's contempt. But see, honor on the flip side is this. Honor is valuing someone for who they are and what God is doing in them now without getting distracted by the background and being a paying attention to who they're not. You value someone for who they are and don't get hung up on who they not or their background. And that's what they did with Jesus. And he had no sinful background. But they just came up with the first thing they could to discredit him. And Mark's gospel says when he did, he sh they shut down the corporate anointing in that place. He could do no mighty works there except lay hands on a few sick folk, those who were willing to receive him. The corporate anointing was shut down because of their contempt. Now, they got angry also, of course, as we see, because he sat in the chair. And they got angry also because of what he said afterwards. When he made reference to Elijah, and he says, you remember back in the days there was a three and a half year famine during the days of Elijah? And because no one honored the prophet, he had to go outside the camp to a widow woman and meet her need. In the days of Elisha, there were many lepers in the land, he goes on to say when you read. For the sake of time, I'm not reading every verse. He said, but because there was no honor for the prophet, he sent him outside the city to the captain of an imposing Syrian army to heal him of his leprosy. And that infuriated him, and they ran him out of town. 
And it says he went on teaching in other synagogues, and they were amazed at the authority. See, that's what amazed them. They amazed at his authority in which he preached as the author of what he was seeing. Other scribes, in Matthew 7, verses 28, 27, somewhere in that neighborhood, it says they were amazed at his authority because he had authority, not as the scribes. The scribes would get up and read the previous year, whenever this scripture was The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me. They would say it bold and religious, but Jesus spoke as the author. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he's anointed me to preach the gospel to you poor. I have that scripture laminated on the dashboard to the left of the speedometer to remind me the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And I challenge you to remind yourself the Spirit of the Lord is upon you. Can be. Let me preface that. The Spirit of God is in every believer, but He does not rest upon every believer. But He can. One who is yielded to Him, one who is in the Word and meditating on the Word, one who is a worshiper in spirit and in truth, one who's meditating on the Word and praying in the Spirit throughout the day, the one who's in constant communion with, with Holy Spirit, then Holy Spirit responds and comes and rests upon you. But what did it say Jesus did not do? See, sometimes you have to read what it says, and then you have to read what it didn't say. It didn't say Jesus went about helping people cope with their problems. And yet, that's what the church does today. You never read where Jesus told the disciples, okay, guys, set up a schedule so you can have someone to escort every blind person to synagogue. He just healed the blind. He didn't say, Judas, take money out the treasury box and go provide a staff for every crippled person. That's what the church in America and around the world would do and say, this is ministry. But it's not Jesus' level of ministry. Why? Because the church in America and around the world is content helping people cope with their problems. They have programs inside the church, and they have outreach ministries outside the church that all they do is help put an arm around them, which has value, sympathize with them, which has value, but there's no power upon them to heal and deliver. So are we going to step it up to Jesus' level? Are we going to continue to just help people cope with their issues? We're living in the last days, and we got a choice to make. We can continue with our programs and our outreaches that help people cope with their issues, help them identify and help them cope with them. Jesus, we never see where Jesus walked to somebody and says, Hey, Bo, how you doing? I heard you went to the doctor the other day. What did the doctor say? Oh, bless you, brother. Bless you in your therapy. Be healed in the name of Jesus. Because the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. And see, when people don't have the Spirit of the Lord resting upon them, they don't know what else to do other than sympathize. And because Jesus had the Spirit of the Lord upon him, they did not receive him. And they're not going to receive you 
when God starts working and, does, and continues his work in you. See, Paul talks about Christ being formed in us. And here we're talking about Holy Spirit resting upon us, as Andy Lynn and the team were singing about. So as people recognize Christ being formed in you and Holy Spirit resting upon you, they're going to come against you. So what do you do? Well, in Matthew 7, verse 6, Jesus said himself, Do not give what is holy to dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine. Dogs are those who don't really have any regard for what you have to say. You can, you can preach the best sermon in the world to them, and it's going to go in one ear and out the other. He said, save it for those who are willing to receive. Do not cast your pearls before swine. Pearls are achieved through deep exploration where you've dug in the word and you've gotten revelation to the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And don't, don't just cast those to swine who just gobble it up and carry absolutely no honor for you. They have no honor for you. Because see, people don't understand this whole decomahi versus lambano thing. It says in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 41, if you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you receive the prophet's reward. Two, you have the word receive, but they're different. If you decomahi and welcome a prophet and recognize him and honor him as a prophet, then you will lambano and be able to put to use and apply to your life what that prophet has to say to you. He says, if you decomahi a righteous man, of course, a woman too, of course, in their context, everything was in the male gender. If you decomahi receive and honor a righteous man, you shall lambano and be able to receive from and apply in your life what that righteous person has to offer. But you see here, the moment you start doing that, People are going to come against you. Why? Because the moment Jesus was baptized and became known as the Christ, the anointed Messiah, that Antichrist spirit aroused. And it's been in operation ever since. And it's an operation even in some good people. The Pharisees love God. They love God. They just didn't have a veil lifted because they weren't willing to open up their heart. So therefore, that Antichrist spirit put thoughts in their head to discredit who Jesus was, to look at his background as the son of a carpenter, the son of Mary, instead of seeing what was superimposed upon him, and that was the Spirit of the Lord. And as a result, they couldn't receive so when people are prone to that, they're going to walk in offense. And offense is one of the top two reasons why people aren't in church today. They're offended. Offense comes from unfulfilled expectations. Someone just didn't meet your expectation. It doesn't necessarily mean they hurt your feelings. They just didn't meet your expectations. And it may be unspoken. But Jesus addressed that in Luke chapter 17. In verse 1, he says, I got news for you, disciples. It is inevitable that offenses will come. They're going to come. You're going to have the opportunity to be offended. And get ready, people are going to be offended at you because you hang out with me. And he said in verse 6, he says, and when the disciple says, increase our faith. 
He says, if you have the faith as a mustard seed, and people want to take off on the mustard seed and preach on that, and that's all good and well, but they miss the rest of the verse. He says, you will say to that stick of mine tree, be plucked up by the roots and be cast into the sea. Now, let me explain the sycamine tree to you. Most, many of translations say mulberry tree. And trust me, it's incorrect. It should be sycamine tree. Why? The fruit of a mulberry tree was sweet and it was eaten by the rich. The fruit of a sycamine tree was bitter and sour and it was eaten by the poor. Those who are poor spiritually, immature spiritually, they're prone to offense. Second of all, the sycamine tree had the deepest root structure around. Those roots run deep. Bitterness runs deep. Unforgiveness runs deep. It runs deep. There's people who's have unforgiveness against you for years. It runs deep. And he says, Say to that sycamine tree, be plucked up by the roots and cast into the sea. It grew best in arid conditions. People, so therefore, no water. Water, a type of the word. So those who aren't in the word, those who are dry spiritually, are prone to offense. The wood of a sycamine tree was used to make caskets. So dead Christians are going to get offended. And lastly... This tree was not naturally pollinated. It was pollinated when the stinger of a wasp would penetrate it, pull out, and go to another tree and hit it. People who are stung by offense, people who are offended, run to somebody else and see who else they can sting because they're looking for reinforcement for their offended position. I'm offended i got to find somebody else who's offended so they can support my offended position. And James chapter 3, verses 14 and 15 says this. When you build a case with somebody else, you're going to develop what you think is wisdom. But James says that wisdom is earthly, it's sensual, and it's demonic. Those who are offended run to another person. Those who are merely disappointed just run into his presence. Pray for them, forgive them, love them, and move on. You see, there's a difference between being offended and being disappointed. Offended includes disappointment. But if you choose not to take offense and you're only disappointed then you can run to the Father with it. See, there's no disappointment in heaven at all. So the test of how we react to disappointment is found on this earth. So realize every time you have an opportunity to be offended, you're disappointed because someone did not meet their expectation, your expectations. Realize the Father is watching how you respond as a basis for reward. There were many people in the Bible who got offended at Jesus and many who were familiar with him. Martha got offended at him because in, in John chapter 11 because Jesus didn't arrive in time to heal Lazarus. You're supposed to be a friend of my, 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 my brother. And Jesus didn't arrive in time. Well, there was both a natural 
reason and a spiritual reason, or two spiritual reasons, if you will. One reason is, is Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, had already been warned that there were religious people waiting on him to trap him for those first two days. They figured Jesus is coming to town, and we're going to get him. So he'd already been warned by the Holy Spirit not to come. And in third, secondly, is the fact that he came on day four. Because as we've noticed before, there was a, in Hebrew culture, there was this mentality that said when a, someone passed away that they thought their spirit just hung around for three days. Perhaps that's why Jesus was raised on the third day to help convince the Jews of his resurrection. So when Jesus arrived on day four, Martha, Mary, and even the disciples said, Jesus, this one's out of reach. So when Martha came to him all offended, Jesus, as he did with the disciples, as he did with everybody, he redirected their focus off of their offense over how their expectations weren't met and redirected it to who he was. I am the resurrection and the life. And he raised Lazarus. John the Baptist was offended at Jesus because Jesus didn't come to get him out of prison in time because, see, whereas Jesus quoted Isaiah 61, he changed that one phrase opening the doors of the prison, and he said, the recovery of sight to the blind. Well, John the Baptist was familiar with Isaiah 61, so therefore he's thinking he's the Messiah, and the Messiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon this Messiah, for he's anointed him to set prisoners free. I'm his forerunner. He hasn't come to set me free. So he sends his followers to go after him and says, are you the expected one or should we look for another? See, John was already having a little pity party for himself. And yet he let the devil, that antichrist spirit, put a thought in his head that says, he's used you up, he's wadded you up and thrown you away, you're no good, you're useless, he got all he wanted out of you for those six months to prepare the way for him, and you're done. And John was falling for the lies of offense. And see, what we don't understand is, as Jesus changed that one phrase, to recovery of sight to the blind, because in the Old Testament, we read Isaiah 61.1, that word prison, it's a hyphenated word, and I, I, it's peacock, peacock, coak, or something like that, okay? And it means the, the door of a prison or of a dungeon. But the root of that, okay, the root of that word, which I dare not pronounce, means the opening of the senses, especially the eyes. So whenever they were talking about the opening of a prison door, Jesus referring to opening up the eyes for revelation as we began the message with. In Luke chapter 2, trying to wrap it up here. In Luke chapter 2 in verse 49, you see where Jesus' own parents were offended. Jesus stayed behind at the age of 12 into the uh, synagogue, and they left, and after a day's journey, they realized he was missing. So it's obviously a day's journey back. And they evidently looked for him for a day, because it says after three days they found him in the temple. And Jesus said to them, he says, Wouldn't you know, didn't you, didn't you know that I would be about my father's business? At the age of 12, Jesus showed that he wasn't concerned about what other people think. He offered no apology, nor any explanation, and yet he was without sin. The Lord showed me that recently 
when a friend of mine became offended with me. And to this day, that friend of mine is still offended with me. And the Lord showed me because I said, Lord, I need to see, did I do anything wrong? He said, you did not commit any sin against that individual. That person just, according to that person's, what they voiced to me, is I did not sympathize with them over an issue like they thought I should have. They were wanting me to cope with them. And Jesus wasn't about coping and hoping. He was about healing and delivering. And I've spoken to that person's life, what Holy Spirit has shown to me, what the root problem was, and they received it not. Now, why did Jesus say, say to the sycamine tree, be plucked up by the roots and cast into the sea? Because I don't care what kind of tree you got. You put it in salt water and salt water is going to kill it. So pluck up those thoughts of offense and be cast into sea. Why do you need to? Because in Matthew and Mark chapter 7, in verses 24 through 30, you see the story of the Syrophoenician woman. My daughter is demon-possessed. Can you help her? Jesus says, I've been sent to the lost sheep of Israel. That is my mission. And it's, I cannot give the children's bread to the dogs. She responded and says, but even the puppies eat the crumbs from the master's table. She changed it to a humble puppy, the child version of a dog. She came to him as a little child and said, but even puppies get to eat the crumbs from the master's table. And he said, go, your daughter is made whole. What you don't realize is, is this. The strength she needed to overcome being offended by being called a dog is the strength she needed to receive her miracle. Now, how many people don't get their miracle because they cannot forgive and overcome offense? When the Spirit of the Lord rests upon you, and Christ is simultaneously being formed in you, people are going to be offended, and you don't mean to offend them. But as Jesus said, even at the age of 12, wise beyond his years, if you're committed to kingdom purpose, and move on. Do not cast your pearls before swine and give what's holy to dogs. If you've offended somebody, yeah, that you made a mistake and you offend them, apologize. Ask for their forgiveness. That's what we do. But if someone's just coming at you because that antichrist spirit is roused and it's given them offense against you to pull you down, to shut down your ability to be able to minister in a particular place, in your workplace or whatever, you just run to Jesus. You just run to Jesus. Jesus told the, the Pharisees, he says in John chapter 5, verses 39 and finishing, 47, he says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. But you won't come to me to find that life. Your pride won't let you. 
He says, but it's not I who will go before the Father and accuse you. He said, it's Moses that accuses you. And if you won't hear what Moses had to say in the law, then you won't hear what I have to say about the kingdom because of offense. So I challenge you today, if you're offended, let it go. It could be standing in the way of your miracle. And if Jesus is being, Christ is being formed in you and the Spirit of God is resting upon you, then you confess, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and I'm not about going to my workplace and helping people cope and hope. Hoping and praying. No. I've come to help heal and deliver. I was reminded that this week on Wednesday morning when I had a school parent come in to the office. And time he, that man did, Holy Spirit told me, that's your assignment for this morning. I invited him into the office. He had been suffering from PTSD for years. Shared the gospel with him. He allowed me to pray for him. And the anointing flowed in that man. I could have, I'm not saying it boastful of me, I could have just helped him cope with this issue. Tell me what you're doing to help treat this problem. Jesus says, I came to heal, deliver. And that's what you and I have been charged with. So will you accept the call? Get into presence, and as Andy Lynn and the team was singing today, and say, Holy Spirit, come rest upon me. Rest upon me. Because you've anointed me to do what you did, to heal and deliver. Father, seal this word in this congregation today. Seal this congregation with this word today. To seal this word. Thank you, Lord. They have ears to hear what you would say to them. In Jesus' name. 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 If there's any brokenhearted, if there's any captives, if there's any prisoners, just surrender and be healed, be set free in the name of Jesus. Thanks again for joining us for today's podcast. You can find out more about us at lhchampton.com. See you soon.